Hi, I'm Angie Stebinger, and this is Mindful Missionary, Episode 2, Rewriting Your Story. All missionaries face challenges, lots of challenges. The way you choose to think amid those challenges will determine whether you survive or whether you thrive. This is the podcast where we prepare future missionaries to thrive. How's it going, everyone? Today, we're going to be talking about rewriting our stories. In the last podcast, I talked about how different Layman's experience was in comparison to Nephi's experience, which is crazy because they were both experiencing the same basic circumstances, right? Leaving everything behind, living in a tent, limited food, the boat breaking, building a ship, all of it. Yet the experiences they each had as they went through the same struggles and challenges were way different. Remember, the title of Layman's story was, It Would Have Been Better If We Had Died. And Nephi's title was, The Lord Blesses Us in Unexpected and Miraculous Ways. And both spent their energy looking for evidence that their story was true, which they were both able to find in abundance, which in turn made their story a reality for them. Wouldn't it have been interesting if Layman had decided to change the title of his story? If he decided to rewrite the way he was telling his story? How different might his experience have been? Sometimes I wonder what would happen if I changed the title of some of the stories in my life, because the reality is that it really is just a story I'm telling myself. No matter how you choose to look at it, it's a story either way. It's a mental construct that I've created and decided to find evidence for, and thus make it my reality. So, I've decided that I might as well choose to make my stories work for me rather than against me, right? So today I'm going to show you how you can rewrite your stories, how you can decide to change your story anytime you want to. One of the ways I find this is really useful is for making peace with our past. We've all made mistakes. We all have weaknesses we want to overcome. And I find that sometimes we make our stories about ourselves in relationship to those weaknesses out to be much more problematic than they need to be, much more detrimental to our happiness than is necessary. But we're not even aware that we're doing this, nor that we have the ability to make those changes. One of the things I've learned with this work is that shame is never a useful emotion. And I find shame is hiding in all of the shoulds in our life. I shouldn't be this way. I shouldn't feel this way. I shouldn't have done that thing. I shouldn't have made that mistake. But should is a version of criticizing or harshly judging ourselves. And the truth is, When we argue with reality, we lose every time. I shouldn't feel this way, but I do. I shouldn't have done such and such thing, but I did. Telling yourself you should or shouldn't have creates shame, and shame is never useful. Now, let me clarify something. 
while I don't believe shame is ever a useful emotion, guilt sometimes can be. Here's how I differentiate between the two. Guilt says, I made a mistake. And shame says, I am a mistake. Guilt can propel us towards change, toward repentance and healing. Shame sends us into hiding. So if you've made a mistake that you would classify as a sin that needs some repentance in order to move past it, here's a thought I want you to try on. This means nothing about my value. I'm still an amazing, lovable person. I was meant to make mistakes. This is all a part of the plan. I'm following the plan perfectly. Heavenly Father knew I would make mistakes, even big ones sometimes. Now I get to make things right through the gift of the atonement. This is what it was meant for. It was meant for me and my messes. Nothing's gone wrong here. (laughs) Okay, that's kind of a long thought, but a very useful one, don't you think? It's much better than thinking, I'm a horrible person who's done a terrible thing, and admitting to it will just be too unbearable. So this exercise is not necessarily meant for those mistakes that need repentance. You won't be able to escape your guilt by simply changing your thoughts. You'll need to have the cleansing power of the atonement take effect in your life. But there's no shame in that. So take care of it, my friend. It will feel so liberating if you have something to let go of. Okay, enough of that side note. Let me give you an example of what I mean. I find that when I'm carrying shame about something in my life, I can simply rewrite my story in a way that finds compassion for myself and in a way that helps me to operate out of peace, self-love, and confidence. All of those emotions, compassion, peace, self-love, and confidence will always bring me closer to being the person I want to be than shame will. I find this exercise to be useful when I find I'm carrying a lot of shame about some weakness or shortcoming or what I've determined as a character flaw of mine from my current self or from the past. It can also be useful for mistakes we've already repented of but can't seem to forgive ourselves for. This is when I find this exercise I've created to be really useful. Let me step you through it with an example of my own. I've broken this down into eight steps. For those of you in my Mindful Missionary course, you'll have access to some worksheets to step you through this exercise, so don't worry about writing anything down. If you aren't enrolled in the course, you might want to grab a pen and a paper and jot these steps down. Or just come and join us at mindfulmissionary.com. You can check it out. Okay, step one is to think of something you're carrying guilt shame, or insecurity about, and write the story you've been telling yourself about this. Include everything you think is wrong, what you believe it means about you, why you believe it's such a big deal, all of it. Get it all out on paper. Here's my story. I'm a terrible cook. It just doesn't come naturally for me, but that's no excuse. I'm 42 years old. I should know how to cook by now. It's embarrassing. It's ridiculous that my husband, Mike, can throw anything together and make it taste great, and I struggle to just follow a recipe and have it turn out right. 
good moms and good wives are good cooks and enjoy cooking for their families. My poor kids and husband deserve so much better. I'm really failing at one of my primary purposes in life. In fact, cooking for anyone other than my family majorly stresses me out, so I avoid cooking for others whenever possible, which means I don't like inviting people to our home very often, because have you noticed? Everything revolves around food. We've probably missed out on so many opportunities to make closer friends because I don't want the stress of cooking for others. Everyone knows I'm a terrible cook, but what's worse is that they probably think Mike's extra weight is my fault, even though for years he was rarely home for meals. But maybe I am to blame. If I were a better cook, maybe he would have wanted to take home-cooked meals with him to work instead of eating out all the time. Okay, terrible story, right? How could I feel anything but awful about myself with that story I've been telling myself for years? Okay, so once you have your story down, step two is decide on a title for your story. Take a look what you've written and choose a title that summarizes the gist of your story. Here's my title. I'm a terrible cook, and because of me, my family has really suffered. Again, not great for my self-esteem. All right, step three. Notice how much of your story is just thoughts. In our Mindful Missionary course, we're learning to differentiate between the circumstances of our lives and our thoughts. But here's a quick explanation. If you want to learn all of this in more detail, come join us there in the course. Circumstances are the facts. It's the stuff that everyone, regardless of what side of the story they're on, would agree on. There's no bias or opinion in them. When we strip things down to the raw circumstance, they become really boring. For example, my sister is impossible to get along with. This could never be classified as a circumstance because, well, there's all kinds of bias and opinion in there. Your mother might say, hey, wait a minute, this isn't about just your sister. You play a part of this problem as well. And your friend might say, you think your sister's hard, you should see what my sister's like. So what could you say is the circumstance? How about my sister and I fight a lot? Again, would everyone agree with this? Maybe everyone in your household would, but someone somewhere could observe the two of you interacting and say, "Uh, you two get into arguments a couple times a week, but that's nothing. You should see this family. Or maybe they'd say, dude, that's not a fight. There weren't even any punches thrown. You should see when my brother and I fight. Do you see how much opinion you have in this circumstance? So what would the circumstance be? Simply something like, I have, let's say, a 16-year-old sister. Everything else I've described are the thoughts Thoughts are all of the meaning or drama you give to your circumstances. Okay, now that we've got that covered, again, what I want you to do is to take a look at your story and notice how much of what you've written are just thoughts. 
you'll likely find that your story is mostly full of unintentional thoughts. They're not facts. They're not circumstances. They're just thoughts. No one can prove them right or wrong. Now, what do we know about our thoughts? We know that they're always optional. And knowing this, are there any thoughts in your story that you want to toss out altogether? I want you to list some of those thoughts. Are there any that you can believe are not true at all? In other words, what parts of your story could be totally wrong and why? Here's the first one. Good moms are good cooks and enjoy cooking for their families. I can toss that out completely because I didn't have to go very far to find examples of awesome moms who really don't like to cook and who really don't cook very well. So right away, I can decide that thought's not true at all. And since it's not serving me, I'm just going to toss it out. Here's another thought that I can get rid of. Maybe I'm to blame for Mike's excess weight. Now, my husband has gained a substantial amount of weight since we've been married. To give you an idea, over the past few years, he's been working really hard to take some of it off, and he's lost over 120 pounds and still has more weight he'd like to lose. So this thought that somehow I'm to blame for his weight gain because of my lack of cooking skills has plagued me for years. But when I get really honest, I see that there are lots of factors that contributed to his weight gain. My cooking was only one of them. His long hours of work and the many, many hours he spent on the road, the poor habits he learned in his home growing up, his lack of exercise, his emotional eating, especially stress eating, all of this played a part. So I've decided to just drop that thought that somehow I'm to blame. Okay, here's step four. Decide what thoughts about yourself you do want or need to continue believing, even though you don't like the way they make you feel. Remember, we can't fool our minds. If we think something is true, we can't lie to ourselves. Our brains won't buy it. Here are two thoughts that I just can't seem to shake. One, cooking doesn't come naturally for me. It wouldn't matter how many times I stood in front of a mirror and told myself, you're a natural at cooking, Angie. I just wouldn't be able to believe it. (laughs) And here's another one. Cooking stresses me out sometimes. I just can't shake that one either. It just feels so true. Like cooking really is stressful for me. Even though I know I'm creating that stress with my thoughts, it seems like too big of a stretch of the imagination to believe that it's not true at all. But notice how even though I really believe those thoughts to be true, I still may decide to leave them out of my new story anyway. Remember, even if you believe something is true, it doesn't mean that you have to keep dwelling on it. Just learn to redirect your brain every time it wants to go there to a more useful thought. All right, step five, find some compassion for yourself. Think about your story, including some of the surrounding details that you may not have included, and find some good reasons for why you are the way you are or what you've done. It may be helpful to imagine that this were your best friend's story. If this was your best friend's story, what sort of compassionate things would you say to them? 
What understandable reasons for how they behaved or how they are would you help them to see? What compassionate thoughts would you have about them? Write those down. Here's what I found. I've been really busy for years with lots of other things that have occupied a lot of my time. I looked back over the years and I remembered all of the things that I've that have kept me so busy. For the sake of time, I'm not going to list them for you now, but you will notice that I include them in my new story. But what I do know is that I'm certainly not a person who idles away time. Over the years, I've chosen to make other things much more of a priority over learning to cook. And maybe the choices I've made have been best for my family. It's possible. Moving on to step number six. This is where you're going to rewrite your story. I want you to own your past, your mistakes or weaknesses, but have some patience and compassion for yourself. Be intentional about what you want to think about yourself. Remember that even if we believe a thought is true, we don't have to continue thinking it if we don't like the way it makes us feel. You can just abandon those thoughts altogether. So here's my new story. I'm really not a very good cook, nor do I enjoy cooking. And the biggest reason why I don't cook any better than I do is because I haven't made it much of a priority to learn over the years. During every season of my life, there seems to have been other things that I felt were more important and occupied lots of my time. While some newlywed women might have been learning to cook, I was busy writing business plans, meeting with graphic designers, and helping to start and operate our family business. And soon after I decided to step back from the business, I started teaching an awesome music program for children that I really felt enriched our lives. It also required a lot of my time, but added to my sense of fulfillment and enriched the lives of my children. And we made great friends because of all the families that it brought into our home. Now, if I'm completely honest, during the six years that we lived in Southern California, I probably could have found plenty of time to learn to cook, but I was much more interested in taking full advantage of all of the fun Southern California had to offer. When other moms might have been cooking, I was taking my kids on bike rides to the park and around the lake and taking them to the beach, the pools, and the skate parks as often as school and homework allowed us to get away. We had so much fun together creating amazing memories, and making great friends. And if I'm honest, I'd rather play than cook any day. And I'm pretty sure my kids are glad that we did as well. And then we moved to Mexico. And I spent hours and hours on end teaching my kids Spanish. I even homeschooled some of them for a while. I could barely keep up with the demands of having four kids going to school in a language they could barely say hello in. The last thing I've been worried about is learning to cook. And now I have other interests. I'm passionate about this work, about improving my mental and emotional health and helping others do so as well. And this takes time. And maybe I played a small part in Mike's extra weight. But certainly, the majority of the contributing factors were outside of my control. 
And thankfully, Mike is a great cook. And now that our circumstances circumstances allow for him to be home for every meal, it's awesome that he can fend for himself when he needs to. We have a great system down. If I'm completely honest, when I look at the amount of time and energy that I've dedicated to learning to cook, I'm probably not so bad at it after all. And I'm sure that someday when I decide to make it a priority, I'll be able to cook just as well as the next person. Okay, long story, much longer than I expected it to be, because I'd never tried to find any compassion for myself in this story. But how much better does this story feel to me? I can't begin to tell you. But again, notice that I could find plenty of evidence to support both stories, because both are just stories. And I get to decide which one I want to make my story. Okay, step number seven. Choose a new title for your story. Here's my new title. Who has time to learn to cook when there are so many other important things to do? Remember that your title is important. The title of your story sends a message to your brain for what to look for, what evidence to find. So choose your title intentionally. Now, step eight, find a useful thought you can redirect your brain to when it tries to go back to your old story and start beating yourself up again. Because of course it will. You've spent a lot of time nurturing your old story and looking for evidence that it's true. Could your new title serve as a good intentional thought? Or can you think of an even better one? Create at least one intentional thought that you can practice believing. If needed, include, it's possible, or yet, to your thought, like we've discussed in class. So here's my new thought. I haven't made learning to cook much of a priority, so I'm not great at it. I've been busy with more I've been busy with more important things. I'm sure I'll be able to learn to cook really well when I decide to make it a priority. Very useful, right? When my mind wants to go back to my old way of thinking and start beating me up and creating all kinds of shame, self-doubt, and insecurity, I gently redirect it to this new thought. Now, I know some of you might be thinking, But wait, if we just make ourselves feel good about all of our weaknesses, we'll never improve. We'll never have any motivation to improve or to change. But I would argue the contrary. What feelings did my original story create for me? They created, it created shame, embarrassment, guilt, and insecurity. What feeling does my new story create? It creates compassion peace, self-love, and confidence. Which group of emotions do you think is more likely to help me move forward when I decide I want to make a change? All of that shame, guilt, embarrassment, and disappointment in myself weren't motivating me to learn to cook. And now I get to carry on with my life without all of that weighing me down. And someday when I decide to make a change, I'll go into it feeling peaceful and confident. We're far more motivated to change when we feel love and compassion for ourselves and confidence. Those are the emotions we're shooting for. 
And when we rewrite our stories and give them a new title, we're not lying to ourselves about our mistakes or our weaknesses. We're just choosing to believe that we all have good reasons for why we are the way we are. We're giving ourselves the benefit of a doubt. Nobody ever hated themselves better. You can love yourself just the way you are and still want to make changes. Did you know that? Besides, no matter how you tell it, it's a story either way. Might as well make it work for you, not against you, my friends. All right, that's it for this week. If you want to go even deeper on all of this with us, head over to mindfulmissionary.com and get signed up for our course. I'd love to work with you. All right, till next time, my friends. Watch your thoughts. There is great power in them.